Welcome back to RebelCast. I'm your host, Salim Razai, and on today's episode, we're going to talk about a major publication that I've got to say is probably one of the best randomized clinical trials I've read in a long time, and it's the HALT-IT trial, looking at tranexamic acid and acute GI bleeds. Now, to help me with this, I'm going to bring in the buttery smooth voice of the Swami. What's up, man? Not much, man. It's good to hear your voice. Good to do this. This is a great trial. We've been talking about this and waiting for this trial for so long. And I have to echo what you said. I don't want to bias the listeners or before they read this study, but they really did a good job. I mean, these authors, this author group, they should be really proud of the work that they turned out here. I mean, I was struggling to find limitations and holes, and I'm always looking for limitations and holes in every study, and they just did such a nice job. So let's we'll get into it and explain what we mean. Now, before we get into the paper, Swami, you know, I think most of us were giving TXA, at least in our most severe GI bleed patients, and maybe I'm wrong in making that assumption. And we were basing that off of a meta-analysis of seven randomized clinical trials, had just over 1,600 patients, and it showed a pretty impressive reduction in all-cause mortality. But the individual trials were super small. They were prone to a lot of methodologic issues, and the dosing regimens they used of tranexamic acid were all over the map without any explanation. So it was really hard to give a clinical take-home message from that. I think a lot of us were just using trauma dosing, and again, only in the sickest people. Were you doing anything different? No, I think I was reaching for this, and, and I spoke with Scott recently on an MRAP episode about upper GI bleeds and tranexamic acid, and it was kind of one of those things where if I remembered to give it, I gave it. If I didn't remember to give it, I didn't really think it was that big of a deal. And I think you highlighted a big part of the issue here. It's a systematic review and meta-analysis, which we tend to hold up as the best you can get. But each individual trial wasn't great. And so the systematic review meta-analysis is only as good as each study that goes into it. And now we have a much larger study that's really well done where, you know, often we talk about one study shouldn't overrule everything else that we have. But this is a case where the quality of the new study is so much better that it really does carry a lot more weight than what we've had going into this. And it's five times bigger than any of the like combination of those studies in that Cochrane review. So that also helps move the needle too, one way or the other. Absolutely. Let's get into the article itself, Salim. Let me set you up with the paper. The article we're talking about is the halted trial collaborators, effects of high-dose 24-hour infusion of tranexamic acid on death and thromboembolic events in patients with acute GI bleeding, HALT-IT, an international randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial published in The Lancet 2020. And the clinical question they were trying to answer is one that we all wanted answered, which was, does IV tranexamic acid reduce five-day death due to bleeding in adult patients with acute gastrointestinal hemorrhage compared to placebo? Now, what did they exactly do, Swami? A lot of this is in the trial title, right? International, multi-center, randomized, placebo control. Those are all words that we love to hear when we see randomized control trials. It was done in 164 hospitals across 15 countries, and they randomized patients, and the half that was randomized to get tranexamic acid got a loading dose of one gram over 10 minutes, followed by a maintenance dose of 125 milligrams per hour for 24 hours, which is a total of about three grams of tranexamic acid. And the other group got a matching 0.9% sodium chloride infusion. And their outcomes... You know, I'll mention the primary because I think it's worth talking about. And it was death due to bleeding within five days of randomization. But 
They excluded uh, patients who received neither dose of the allocated treatment, I think, which is important, we'll come back to. And we're going to come back to that primary outcome because this changed, actually. This was not their original primary outcome. We'll talk about that when we get to the discussion. And then when we look at their secondary outcomes, it was a lot of things that are important. And I'll just let you find in the show notes. But a lot of it had to do with death due to bleeding and all-cause mortality at 28 days, re-bleeding, blood product transfusion, and then um, arterial and venous thromboembolic events. Their inclusion criteria were pretty broad as well. There weren't a lot of patients taken out of the study. Basically, you had to be an adult in that country. So that was either 16 or 18, depending on which country was in play. And you had to have a significant upper or lower GI bleed. And they define this as either hypotension, tachycardia, signs of shock, or the clinician thought they were likely to need transfusion, urgent endoscopy, or surgery. So that's a pretty sick subgroup we're talking about. Yeah, I really was happy to see that because my concern was is that they were gonna include all comers and it would dilute the results. Like in your patients who aren't bleeding to death and then you give them something, you're probably not gonna see a benefit from that. So I think they did a really nice job with this inclusion criteria. And the other nice thing is there wasn't really any exclusion criteria stated. So this is exactly the population we see down in the ED. You mentioned up front that this was a really big study. Let's just say how big it was. They had 12,000 patients, 12,000 patients in this study. Remember that the systematic review and meta-analysis had about 1,600 patients. This is considerably larger. And there was about 6,000 patients in each group. So it was well split. And some of the demographic information or the base information is important here. Most of these patients had upper GI bleeding, about 90%, which is not surprising because most of the time we see sick GI bleeders, they are upper GI bleed. Yes, you see a sick lower GI bleed from time to time, but it's probably about nine or 10 to one for me. I see probably about 10 sick upper GI bleeds for every one lower GI bleed patient that's sick. The other interesting things here was that more than 50% of the patients had variceal bleeding or suspected variceal bleeding. A very small percentage were on anticoagulation, only about 9%, and a significant portion of the patients had liver disease, about 40%. Now for the big take-home message, right? The five-day mortality due to bleeding, the true primary outcome. For tranexamic acid was 4%. For placebo, 4%. <laughs> that was a nice dramatic pause that went nowhere. <laughs> so basically, there was no difference between the two groups. And the authors did a really nice job. They broke this down into subgroups, and they found no difference. They broke this down to differences in death due to bleeding and rebleeding at different time points. They found no difference. In no subgroup did they find any difference in mortality or bleeding or need for blood products. And so this would be what we call a truly negative trial. I agree. I think this is truly a trial that says there doesn't seem to be any particular difference in a sick subset of patients. And there's nothing pushing us then towards giving this, which we'll come to when we come to our conclusions. They also, though, did look at those safety outcomes that you mentioned. Arterial thromboembolic events were equal between the two groups. So MI and stroke, no difference whether you got tranexamic acid or not. But here was the one that is also big. If you look at the prior studies, the CRASH-2 trial, the woman's study, we didn't see any difference in venous thromboembolic events, but here there actually was. It was 0.8% in the tranexamic acid group and 0.4% in the placebo group. That was statistically significant. It gives you a number needed to harm of about 250. And so a lot of people are saying, well, yes, there is a VTE difference. Is it really clinically significant? No, and VTE, is a hard thing because it really depends on how hard you look for it. Because we know a lot of patients will have asymptomatic venous thromboembolism. If you're looking really hard, you might find those asymptomatic patients. But if you're not, 
you might underestimate the actual occurrence. So we don't know exactly what the VTE rate is, but it does seem to be higher in the group that got tranexamic acid. And I don't think we have a good grasp on exactly why. And this is the first time that we've seen this in a big randomized control trial. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think some people would say that the numbers are so little that it, it probably doesn't matter 0.8 versus 0.4%. But uh, we still have to pay attention. I mean, we're saying it's a completely negative study in terms of efficacy, and there's a small signal of increased harm, then why would you give the medication, right? So it's, it's kind of looking at both sides of the coin here. Now let's get into some of the strengths and limitations. So first of all, this is the largest randomized clinical trial of TXA for acute GI bleed. I don't think anybody's going to question that. Everything about this study was done well. The randomization process, the blinding process, patients were balanced. They use a modified intention to treat analysis to make sure that everybody got at least a dose of the medication. They had phenomenal follow-up in terms of both groups of patients. And their inclusion criteria were very broad and the sickest patients, which are who we care about and what we're seeing in the ED. So I, I just, I honestly didn't have anything else in terms of strength, Swami, unless you do. I mean, this is probably honestly one of the best RCTs I've read in a long time. I agree. I think they did a really nice job here. There are some limitations that we should get into, and one you mentioned up front is the fact that they did change their primary outcome to what it was originally to what we actually see in the publication. So if I remember correctly, the original primary outcome was all-cause mortality, and that was changed to mortality from bleeding. And they do explain in the manuscript why they changed that. Going into the study, they thought that most of the patients who died from a GI bleed would die from bleeding. But as they went through it, they found that that wasn't exactly true. And so that's why they switched their primary outcome. The interesting thing, of course, is that it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference whether you looked at all-cause mortality or mortality from bleeding. There was no difference. So it's less relevant here. But we should point it out because we always harp on people for changing their primary outcome. And they did, in fact, change the primary outcome. But they do a good job of explaining why they changed it. And I think it's very reasonable why they changed it. I, I'm the first one to like be a big skeptic once I see a primary outcome change, because it's almost like they're data dredging, right? They're, they're looking for a reason to find a positive outcome. And you're right. They still looked at the original primary outcome, and there was no difference in that either. Um, and I think it's it's fine. They gave good reason. What they found is, is that most people weren't dying from bleeding, so they needed to change the primary outcome. I, I think that's a reasonable reason to do it, and they're super transparent about why they did it. Yeah, and I think why we want to mention this is because we do harp on this, and a lot of people say, well, I don't care if the patient dies from bleeding or dies from something else. They die, they die. And where we get worried about this or where we get concerned about it is when you see a difference in a specific cause for mortality, but the overall mortality is the same, and saying that the patient doesn't care. The patient doesn't care what killed them. They just care that they are dead or they're not dead. And here it didn't make a difference, so it's probably not really something to spend more time on, but that's why we think about that. The other big one, Salim, I think that merits some discussion. It's not necessarily a limitation. It's more of a function of the disease is the delay from onset of bleeding to getting tranexamic acid. I think this is really important because we see from reanalysis of the CRASH-2 data that time to getting TXA mattered. You wanted to give the TXA under three hours from the onset of that trauma. After three hours, you actually saw an uptick in mortality. So either you give the tranexamic acid early or you don't give it in trauma patients. 
In the woman trial, I think it's hard as well because sometimes postpartum hemorrhage is going to be masked. So you might not know exactly when that bleeding started. And GI bleed is another place where I think these patients probably are having some bleeding for hours before they actually open up, become symptomatic, and then present to the emergency department. And that might be one of the reasons why we don't see the benefit with tranexamic acid here. That's just a hypothesis, but I think it is unlikely or at least less likely that we capture these patients at exactly or less than three hours from onset. It's just hard to know when they started. And that's the thing is the knowing the exact time that this started is like difficult. And I think the time from symptom onset that the patient realized or the clinician realized to randomization was about eight hours, if I remember correctly. And then the time to uh, from symptom onset to getting the medication was about 20 hours uh, on average. And so a lot of people would say, of course, this isn't going to work. It, it You waited too long to give it. But I would say that that's not a fault of the authors. I would say that's a function of the disease process. This is something we all are going to see. And it's hard to know when a bleed actually starts. It's not just when they first start throwing up blood. It's they're probably throwing up for a while. And then the second issue is, is that you know, what's the coagulation profile of a patient that's vomiting blood versus a trauma patient who's getting acidotic? You know, I would say the two are totally different. And so there might be uh, multiple things that are taking effect with tranexemic acid. One other thing I want to mention here, Swami, is that I don't know if this makes a difference, but only 9% of patients were on anticoagulants. And I don't know that TXA would be beneficial in those patients or not. It was certainly the minority of these patients. And you could see where some people would say, well, if they're on blood thinners, I'll go ahead and give the TXA. But I just think we have to be you know, really careful and know who our inclusion was for this study. And so we don't really have a lot of information on patients with anticoagulants either. Yeah, I want to address each of those points. because I think each one of those is really important. So let's start with the third one, which is about the anticoagulants. When we look at this group of patients, mostly upper GI bleeding, a lot with cirrhosis, a lot with uh, variceal bleeding, most of those patients aren't on anticoagulants. I mean, I think we know not to keep those patients on anticoagulants, so most of them aren't on those drugs. So I'm not sure that this was a surprise that we saw such a low amount with anticoagulants on board. And let's remember that you can give TXA to those patients, but what they actually need is something that will reverse their anticoagulant if you think that's at play. And that's usually going to be things like FFP and vitamin K, whether you're giving PCC or not, whether you have these specific reversal agents, which we've already discussed, we don't really think that they work very well. The TXA isn't going to reverse that agent. We're going to really be giving those other things, those other products to do that. The other point that you had was about the 20-hour delay. And yeah, I mean, I think that is a problem, right? I mean, usually in my emergency department, if I call for tranexamic acid, I don't have a 20-hour delay in giving it. And so maybe, maybe that would change these numbers, but we don't know. We don't really know that it has to be given in that short a period of time. And then the middle point that you had about the type of bleeding, I think that's really important too. When we look at this group, mostly variceal bleeding, most of the patients or a lot of the patients had cirrhosis. I'm not sure that having that bleeding from a specific spot is the same as what we see in trauma, where, as Scott has said in the past, it's more of a tissue that's bleeding as opposed to a specific vessel. And maybe that's why TXA doesn't work. If you have Teg and Rotem, I think this is a great place to use those assays to figure out what products does this patient actually need. And I think that's kind of the next step. The next step in our treating these bleeding disorders is to find out exactly what the problem is with Teg and Rotem and then guide our resuscitation to that. This just couldn't be done in this study. And I think that is the ideal, but we couldn't do it. And we may see in the future 
studies that do that, that are able to get Teg and Rotem at point of care, figure out what product the patient needs and if they need TXA, and then if that has a benefit. We just don't have that data right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if there is a subset of GI bleeders who does need tranexamic acid. We just need more data to figure that out. There's one last thing I want to talk about here, and that was the dosing that they used for their tranexamic acid. Because if you look back and you look at our previous studies that we talked about, like in trauma, um, it was typically um, two grams over eight hours, right? So one gram given over 10 minutes and then another gram given over eight hours. It was also one gram over 10 minutes for postpartum hemorrhage with a repeat dose if the bleeding continued. In this study, they gave four grams over 24 hours, right? So they gave the one gram over 10 minutes and then they gave the remaining three grams over the, the next 24 hours. And what I liked about this is they actually explained their reasoning for it, which I, I found fascinating. So the first thing they said is that the half-life of TXA is about two hours. And they knew that there was a higher risk of re-bleeding in the first 24 hours. So they wanted to make sure they covered these patients for the first 24 hours of resuscitation and management. And they wanted to cover them during this high-risk period. I think that's very sound reasoning. Um, I was kind of scratching my head about why they chose this dose. And then later on in the discussion, they came back and explained their reasoning. The question I have for you, Swami, as well as I'd love to hear your comments on this is, do you think this might be why we're seeing the higher VTE rate? Because they're using a higher dose of tranexamic acid. It's definitely possible. I, I don't know. And what we've always thought about tranexamic acid is that it doesn't create clot. It balances the clot that's there. It helps to stabilize that clot. And so a different dose of tranexamic acid really shouldn't make much of a difference here. And let's remember, these are small numbers. If it was done again, we might find that that difference in VTE rate goes away. And in our other studies, we don't see it. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. I can't. I can't really physiologically in my mind wrap my head around why the longer dosing of it would really make very much of a difference. But but I, again, it's possible. I just think that there are so many other things at play here. And that VTE rate is such a, a small difference that I don't really know that we need to pay too much attention to it. What we really should be paying attention to is that the blind approach of just giving everybody TXA and GI bleeding clearly doesn't work. So what was the author's take-home point? We can we could talk about this paper all day, but uh, I think I think the listeners want to know what's the what do they do clinically? <laughs> I think we're fanboying a little bit. Yeah. We, we just love that this article is so well done. Here's what the authors concluded: We found that tranexamic acid did not reduce death from gastrointestinal bleeding. On the basis of our results, tranexamic acid should not be used for the treatment of GI bleeding outside the context of a randomized trial. And I would say, you know, usually we disagree or we somehow have some modification to the author's conclusion. I would say we're, we're pretty spot on with them. This is pretty well done. I got to say, this is one of the best RCTs I've read in a very long time. It was large. It was multi-center. It was randomized, controlled. Um, of TXA versus placebo and acute GI bleed. And it was a sick cohort of patients, which is, I mean, they did such a good job with their inclusion and everything. And the results basically were astoundingly negative. They demonstrate no benefit to giving TXA on five-day mortality in patients with acute GI bleed. And there was a little small signal of harm with increased VTE and even seizures if we, we didn't get into that, but there was even some increase in seizures with TXA. So I think with that information, at this point, the needle moves and we shouldn't be giving this medication 
for patients with acute GI bleed until further studies show us something different. I agree 100%. Let us know what thoughts, questions you have. Are you still going to use TXA or not? And until next time, Rebel Yammers.